Welcome everybody to another episode of the Brothers Podcast. Please give a round of applause for yourselves. Because in a horror full of haters, you can only be great at it. It's your boy, Steve Stevens P.Y. So yes, you caught me fucking that word up. <laughs> world. We run it back. World in a world full of haters, you can only be greater. That's what I meant to say. I'm sorry, it's been a long day. In a herd full of haters, yes. Only be greater. <laughs> we all mess up, bro. Yes, right. As always, back online with my partner in crime, Dante Chase Bridges, aka Dante Chase Bridges. Never needed that, aka. And together, that will make us the goddamn brothers. Yes, less ladies and gentlemen. It is. We are back a little bit later than usual on a different day as usual, but we're still here dropping the fire for y'all on this cold winter night. It is Friday, January 24th. We're almost at 10 p.m. Yeah, as we know, it's been a long day. We've been busy. We've been doing things. We've been trying to handle business. But we got to bring you survivors. We got a little bit of a controversial topic for you. We sure do, people. You see it in the title, you're probably wondering, huh? Because, you know, Martin Luther King Day just happened Monday. Martin Luther King's birthday was just this past, when, last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, not nah, this last Wednesday, the week before Wednesday. Which actually was my great aunt's birthday. That's who God rest her soul. Them and Louise Stamps. I miss you and I love you every day. So, everybody's kind of wondering why we're doing this. We're going to break it down thoroughly, as thoroughly as possible. But first... We got a little something we like to call town hall business. Mr. Bridges, what you got? Before I get into my regular scheduled program, town hall business, I would like to give a shout out to a small black owned business. Shout out to Magic, not spelled M-A-J-A-M-A-J-I-C, but M-A-J-I-Q-U-E. Magic. Okay, play on words. Magic Ministry Foods LLC. I want you to go to Kiana. Let me let me look it up because I want to get this absolutely correct. Right, go ahead. I want you to go to Kiana Stallworth's page and I want you to look up Magic Food LLC and I want you to support her. Whether you're supporting her by giving her a like or whether you're actually maintaining and going and trying to purchase something that she's giving. Magic Food Ministry, LLC. Kiana Stallworth. Now back to our regular schedule program. Shout out to WIAN radio station in Nashville, Tennessee. And I did say Nashville, Tennessee. Shout out to everybody that messes with us. Like iHeartRadio, where you can catch the brothers. Spotify, where you can catch the brothers. iTunes, where you can catch the brothers. I, him, and everybody that make the brothers movement possible. We ain't nothing but a Google away, people. What you got for me, people? As always, shout out our usual subset. Sub, I am having it's a hard day for me to pronounce yet. Shout out to our usual suspects. Our official DJ JMC, as always. Shout out to our brothers in the hub. Ryan Watkins for At My Mama's Table. Reggie Price for I Could Be Wrong, But I Doubt It. Shout out to our homegirl. And her, actually, we got a new homegirl. Her name was Jennifer Williams. I am trying Jennifer herself. We've been talking a little bit business. We got some business coming to y'all soon. Shout out to our always homegirl, Sky Miller. Who's doing her big entrepreneurial thing in the radio game. Be sure to keep a lookout for some projects that she's got coming up. And as always, shout out to you, our viewers, because without y'all, we wouldn't be here right now. No, we wouldn't. We would have done a lot. We would have been doing a lot for this podcast. We've been trying to do as much as we can for y'all. But we thank y'all. We appreciate y'all for sticking here with us. Now, let's get that out of the way. We got a little something we also got to call what's really good out here. What's really good out here. So, did you hear a little bit of a really ridiculous story going on between Nick Cannon and Orlando Brown? God damn it. Yes, Nick Cannon. Orlando Brown, who is, of course, going off the deep end. I got to start asking you about these what's really goods out here. Listen. I'm talking about. All right, look. So, apparently, Orlando Brown went on a little bit of a tirade (laughs) and told everybody that Nick Cannon, he came out the closet, said he was gay. And that Nick Cannon sucked his dick. Okay, that, that's that's crazy. But <laughs> what I did like was I liked the way that Nick Cannon handled the situation. Nick Cannon didn't blow up and 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 go crazy. You mo- you better not. I swear to God, I get my boom. Because you know that saying they say mm-hmm. you protest too much. Therefore, I know you are. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm glad that he handled it in a way where said, man, hey man, the dude got talent, but I think the dude needs to get some help, man. I'm glad. I don't know if you did it or not, but the way you handled it as far as PR, spot on. So good job, Nick Cannon. You know what I like better? What's that? I like Marlon Wayans' answer to that better. <laughs> when he said, hey man, you wrote a lot just to say you didn't suck nobody's dick. Because <laughs> that's pretty much all you needed to say at that point. <laughs> I mean, granted, Nick Cannon wanted to elaborate and he wanted to give a full on explanation. But Marlon had to say, look, let's just keep it real. Just say you didn't suck a dick and move on. Please. Because somebody could have stopped reading like mid-sentence and still... That was about... That was a (laughs) five-paragraph essay that he posted on Instagram. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there like, I'm not going to read all this over something so minuscule as whether or not you... This man lying on you. I got mid mid paragraph and was like, I okay. I'm just (laughs) like, wow. A little bit of another, let's change subjects real quick. 180. So, real quick, you do know that Eminem's album dropped. And he went up and dropped. Yes, I. So, and, uh, so we, have you ever listened to it? Hell no. Okay, I gave it a little listen to it. And I honestly feel like there's a lot of connotation in this album that makes me think that this might be it, man. Okay. It really feels like I got that vibe of the lyrics he was dropping and some of the songs he was writing. It felt like I got a feel of a little bit old Marshall Mathis. Okay. Like he's trying to prove something that he still got it. But I think he's trying to really say, hey, I still got it. So I'm going to walk off letting y'all know that I still got it. It wasn't as corny. It wasn't as corny (laughs) as Kamikaze. Because Kamikaze was trash. But it was, it was decent. I don't think I listened to Eminem in about 10 good years. Last time I listened to Eminem was when he made, I can't be your suit, man. I have been having this argument with black people for the longest. I swear to God, I've been trying to tell people, y'all don't listen to Eminem as much as y'all think y'all do. I said, somebody, please tell me, when was the last time you heard an Eminem track on the radio. I think I was a sophomore in college. So don't <laughs> give me this bullshit that Eminem gets played so much all the time by every brother in the hood. Cause now y'all ain't nobody listen. going down. Y'all only listen to Eminem when the new album drops. Y'all ain't listening. To, ain't nobody on 79th Street going down listening no. to Eminem. Ain't nobody in in, in Argyle Gardens listening to Eminem. No. Nobody in low end going down listening to goddamn. They listen to the baby and money bag yo. I have no idea what the name money bag yo is. I don't know. I, don't I, know I, I thought means. he was young Dolph for a minute because he I just I don't, don't know like, what the name. Oh, oh, oh. I I don't know that's, what that name is. Money bag yo. That's an actual rapper's name. Yeah, I mean, I've it. heard that album. It's very money bag yo ish. I mean, it's pretty good. You know, what I'm saying you ain't about the hood. Don't listen to it. But let's be honest, nobody's listening for Eminem. Good albums, but you know ain't nobody in the hood bumping that shit regularly. You're not gonna go back and rewind it back and say, oh, I'm gonna listen to that track again. No, you're not. You hear it once, maybe twice, and that's the last time you ever hear an Eminem album. You're real. Sorry, guys. Sorry, suburban black kids. Anyway, you let's know, go. Dalton is a suburb. And I know them niggas ain't listening to Eminem. <laughs> Harvey is a suburb, and ain't nobody there listening to Eminem. Dixon is a suburb. We're talking about more like Bolingbrook and Orland Park, okay? Sorry. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk about those suburbs. They clarify them suburbs. For those, those in Chicago suburbs. Man, area. I know a lot of people who have been watching us are not from Chicago. These are Calumet Park. Ain't nobody listening to no goddamn Those Eminem. are the hood suburbs he's mentioning. I'm talking about the Calumet suburbs. City, Lansing. Ain't nobody listening to uh, no Eminem. Ah! Lansing. Lansing. Hell no, nah, ain't nobody. That's River Oaks. Ain't nobody listening to no damn river. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I would, after, it's okay. Alright, we, we, we're just going off that. Mm-hmm. They're probably in Berlin. But anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and get started with our topic today. Now, yes, sir. Pass your seatbelt, pump your brakes real quick, and understand what I'm we're about to off. say. Because I know, we know this is a very pivotal character in the overall scheme of black history. We are talking about Dr. Martin Luther King. Yes, sir. Junior. Yes, whose sir. whole argument has been about <coughs> social integration. 
However, after further review, after a little bit of understanding of historical context, we may have come to an idea that he may have went about this the wrong way. Yes. He may have been ill-advised. Yes. In other words, he may have fucked up. <laughs> and we're going to explain why. We are going to explain why. We're going to explain why. Now, like you said, put oh, on you your are. goddamn seatbelt and go for this roller coaster because I'm going to break some of your beliefs today. Oh, so, well, so let's start. My beliefs, I mean, I didn't think this was like a religious education, but whatever. Um... Let's go ahead and just say why do we why do we believe he fucked up? Are you okay? It's been a long day. <laughs> I told you. Listen, let me just before we get started, let me understand this. I've been up since two in the morning. I've not went to sleep at all day. All right. I'm running off a cup of coffee and pre-workout throughout the entire day. With of course occasional breakfast. Nobody give a fuck. What? Fuck you. What? So if I start stuttering and go uh and all that shit, bear with me, please. That's all. Spare me. Anyway, why do you believe he fucked up like I'm fucking up my words? <laughs> okay. Do your opinion. Please. <laughs> this is the thing. Here we go. Now I want everybody to understand that although it's titled Martin Luther King, you fucked up. In no way I'm trying to say that the man did not come from a good place, a pivotal place, and his legacy should not be stitched inside of African American history. Under no circumstance am I saying that. But with every up, there's a down. With every end, there's an out. With every good, there's a bad. Exactly. So. What we are saying and what I really want a lot of my black African-American or whatever you want to call yourselves to understand is a lot of times we form our beliefs on a narrative that was given to us. So if you would have had all of the information, would you feel the same way? Prime example. Now, a lot of people heard the I have a dream speech. But did you hear it in its entirety? Because a part of the I Have a Dream speech, Dr. Martin Luther King said one pivotal point. He said that I fear that I have led my people into an burning building mm -hmm. and I have locked the key. I locked it. What do you think that meant? Again, you can find this on YouTube. It's not like we're just making that shit up. You can find this anywhere. You can find it anywhere. When Dr. Martin Luther King told everybody that I feel that I've led my people into a abandoned building and I've locked the door, what he was referring to is what we were just talking about, social integration. Now, everybody in the world feels that we all should be one. We all should be one people. But what you don't understand is... Social immigration that Dr. Martin Luther King said has done nothing but weaken African-American economics from then up until now. Hence, we don't even have our own community inside of black Chicago anymore. No. The once thriving Bronzeville is now just a lot of abandoned businesses that are now going through, what's that word when they take over a lot of things? Uh, gentrification. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What Dr. Martin Luther King practiced and that he figured out is integration is nothing if you can't economically integrate. Right. And what he left out to say is when you integrate with another people, if they are above you or superior, then they chew up your money and you don't go with your black businesses anymore. Right. Now, it's one thing that I want to say, man. This is fucked up. This is controversial. The civil rights movement that Dr. Martin Luther King did, did more damage to African-Americans than it ever did any good. How was that so? I'll give you a prime example. Now, you can go to the Breakfast Club. You can listen to a guy named Dr. Claude Anderson express this. Dr. Claude Anderson is a world-renowned economic, one of the only black economics that's doing something with the black community. He told a story, and this is something that you can go and research on your own, of being in Winston-Salem. And Winston-Salem having a bus company called the Safe Bus Company. Now, you can look this up. That had over 500 buses. 
rivaling what you know as the CTA in Chicago, or rivaling what you know as the Dart in Minneapolis, or rivaling any major metropolitan bus company of today. This safe bus in Winston-Salem was all black owned. Ah, but you know something that's all black owned doesn't last forever, now does it? Especially when you're talking about social integration. And one thing you got to understand, when you have a black owned company that have 500 buses, do you know how many secondary jobs that is? That means that not only you have 500 bus drivers that's black, you got 500 electricians, you got 400 engineers, you got janitors, you got people that's controlling the carburetor systems, the mechanics, everybody that is into that company is black, black owned. Now, why did Martin Luther King do a bad job of what he did? Because when he calls for social integration, at the same time he wanted people to integrate into the bus systems, aka Rosa Parks getting on the bus, the white bus, you had thriving black company, black owned bus systems right in metropolitan cities in the United States. And as soon as they did that campaign about Rosa Parks and integrating into the white bus systems, guess what went down? Wait, 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 let's, let's go ahead back, let's back up. So you're telling me right now that Rosa Parks sitting at the front of a bus was what, a setup? Listen. Are, is that what you're trying to apply to me right now? How many people I'm just trying to understand this. How many people ever stop to think about the fact that Rosa Parks has a picture of the time when she was on the bus? Could, could it be a little bit of a, the media or whatever the, whatever the person responsible for the camera just happened to be in there at the time? A journalist with a camera happened to be on the bus in the 1960s and took a picture on the exact same day that Rosa Parks was on the bus and got denied a seat. That is very coincidental. Is it coincidental? Or maybe they just somebody reported it or anything like that. It, it could have been like that. Or it could have been a set up PR campaign in order to push the civil rights movement or the civil rights agenda. But like I was saying, you know something that happened? When it pushed the civil rights agenda and integrated blacks wanting to be a part of the buses, the white bus systems, all of the black owned bus companies went under. So going back to what Martin Luther King did, which he was one of the leaders of the civil rights movement, when he integrated black people into white society, he didn't just integrate the black people, but he literally destroyed the black business floor. Because those integrating and black men that and black women that want to get into white companies, they started to neglect their black companies that they were supporting that gave black people an economic floor, a la Wilmington, North Carolina, a la Winston-Salem, North Carolina, a la Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of the most striving black-owned cities. The birth of Black Wall Street. That has ever been seen in the United States. Done for themselves, black groups, black companies, black stores with black resources funding the store. Although Martin Luther King had good intentions, what he did was literally cripple the black economic floor by telling black people to accept the white man's ice as being colder. Because really interesting about this argument is because... This is exactly what Malcolm X argued against Dr. King for so many years. Now, let's bear in mind, we know the historical context. It's kind of like an Alpha and Omega situation where it was Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. They, one, one was by any means necessary, the other one was turn the other cheek and love thy neighbor and be at peace. We now understand that it seems so toward the back end to the later years of Martin Luther King's life before he was assassinated, it seems to be more like he was starting to gravitate to Malcolm X's side a little bit on the idea of social integration. Basically what he's saying is, is that I've made a mistake. <laughs> I don't think social integration is helping us. I don't think we're benefiting from this. We don't have enough structure to benefit from this. We don't have enough understanding to benefit from this. And we're kind of 
tiptoeing our way into our own demise right here as far as the social infrastructure. With Martin Luther King telling black people to integrate into the white society, basically what he said was, I want you to give up the mansion that you're living in as black people to integrate into a two-bedroom apartment that a white man is leasing for you. That's exactly what he did. While that white man is moving into that two-bedroom, that mansion. And he's not even giving you one of the rooms. He's telling you to live in the living room on the couch and only use the TV when his family ain't home. You've traded that in for a mansion a la Black Wall Street, a la Winston-Salem, a la Bronzeville, Chicago, for a piece of a pie that someone doesn't want to give you and it's cold and it's half-eating. That's exactly what you did when you push the agenda of social integration. Now, one thing that people don't understand, like I said, Dr. Martin Luther King, well, Dr. Michael King, because his name is actually Michael King, it's not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was an epithet that was taken from Martin Luther, the priest, the Protestant priest that uh, taught priests. Martin Luther, was put on side of Michael's name in order to be more appealing towards the masses, whether now, they white or black. Now, question. Now, the thing is about Mike. Now, to get a little bit more clarity, Martin Luther was also a man about peace as well, was he not? Exactly. So the narrative of what Doctor Michael Luther King, I guess Michael came to say right now, is that he spit the same ideology and mindset. So it's like, okay, well, if you're going to embody this mindset. You need a name that's kind of more family friendly or more white, I guess you could say. Not the you yeah, need basically a name yeah. That is globally accepted uh-huh. instead of accepted by one specific people, right. because white people were able to understand Martin Luther mm-hmm. attached to a black man's face. So once they understood that then that PR campaign, which is called the Civil Rights Movement, was able to begin. Right. Now, one thing you don't even understand about the Civil Rights Movement that Dr. King started was that the Civil Rights Movement is not necessarily for black people. The Civil Rights Movement, actually, real name, is called the Indian Rights Movement. That movement was specifically for tribes, nations, such as Choctaw, such as Cherokee, such as Sioux, such as Creek, which what Martin Luther King was a part of, and that's another subject that I'll tackle. 1865, What? What year was that inaugurated? 1964. I'm sorry, 1964. It's the Indian Civil Rights Act of 1964. 1964, Indian Civil Rights Act. It was not the Civil Rights Act for African Americans. It was never intended for African Americans. It was intended for Native Americans. Actually, it's who we are, but that's another subject. But the only thing that Martin Luther King was was the figurehead in order to push the agenda so that it would be passed by a conglomerate of people, AKA you, and then have those rights transferred to the people that it affected. Who was that? The Native Americans that had the casinos by the money that y'all did with the Civil Rights Act that y'all thought y'all was helping black people with. So. When we say, Dr. Martin Luther King, you fucked up, we're not saying that you didn't have good intentions because your mama would say, well, I was coming from a good place when I told you to do that. But if it goes to shit, then the end result is bad. So we don't we don't denigrate Dr. Martin Luther King for what he intended to do. Mm -hmm. We're saying he fucked up from the end result of what he was pushing. And Dr. Martin Luther King knew it himself. And, his, and unfortunately, as we all know, it was too late for him to do anything about it because as more knowledge began to spread, we unfortunately know what tragedy happened to him. Yes. And it's unfortunate because we also know that the ripple effects of this social integration continues on to this day. You see it yourself right now. You see more African-Americans or blacks migrating to the suburbs while the inner city is now being taken over by gentrification. And it's becoming more and more, and it's, as we all know, the society is built entirely as more of a class system. Yeah. So it's, even if you could say it's more so about minorities, blacks, so on and so forth, a class system, a class system exists where people who have money overrule everything that the people who don't have money. 
Yes. One of the arguments that's being made is that about black people in the class system is that we're always on the, on the bottom spectrum. We're always the poverty, we're right there on the poverty line. Yes. The good doctor you was refer, referring to was... Uh, Anderson. Ronald Anderson made it clear that he said is that in this system, poverty cannot be removed. You can't destroy poverty. No. The goal, the plan should be how to get blacks out of poverty. Poverty's always going to exist, it's no matter what. Exist. Huh? It's always going to exist. It's always going to exist. Our job is to try to figure out how to get blacks out of that poverty line. You know when you first hear something from somebody and you be like, oh, some dumbass shit that that person said. But then something, you get some more information and you go back and be like, uh-huh. that dude was a genius. Yeah. This reminds me of something that Steve Harvey said a couple of, uh, maybe a couple of months ago. And yeah. people killed him for it. He was talking about bl- poor black people. He said the best way to help poor black people is to not be one of them. And the whole black world chewed his ass up for it. Of course I they chewed did. him up for it. Really? But now that I think about it, like the man Dr. Claude Anderson said, there's always going to be a low class in a capitalistic society. You got people with money, and in order to have people with money, you got to have people that don't have money, mm-hmm. aka the poor class. Mm-hmm. You can't eradicate poverty. It's always going to be there. So the best solution is to get yourself out of the poverty situation, then bring somebody else up, your fellow brother, with you, instead of trying to take it as a whole. Because another thing they said, um, well actually, they said a, a, a high tide moves all the boats, okay? Mm-hmm. But black people's boats got holes in them. So we don't get moved by the high tide, we just sink to the fucking bottom because it destroys our ship because it was already faulty to begin with. Right. So the best thing that you need to do, because this capitalistic society is always going to be here, there's no such thing as going to be peace and love throughout everybody. It's just not going to happen. You need to understand who you are, understand who your people are, and you pull them up with you. You don't got to do it as a whole. You got a couple of people that you want to invest in something? Mm-hmm. One, two, three, y'all pull yourselves up. Because the best way to help black people out of the poverty is to take yourself out of it. And that's real talk. Now, there's something that Dr. Martin Luther King, I'm going to have to give a strike against. Now, Dr. Martin Luther King, throughout everything that he was saying, kept on stressing the word black and Negro. Now, the one problem that I got against Dr. Martin Luther King is, he knew that blacks and Negroes were not blacks and Negroes. He knew that we were not slaves. Dr. Martin Luther King knew that the black people, like me and him, mm-hmm. were already in this land before Columbus came. And he stated it several, several times. He did. Even Malcolm X stated We didn't land, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. We was already here. Dr. Martin Luther King said we were already here before the pilgrims got here in one of his speeches. In his famous I Have a Dream speech, he said that black people, we were exiled in our own homeland. Mm -hmm. We were exiled in our own homeland. He was referring to the fact that Europeans came over to this land and kicked out the natives, which were us. Right. So he already knew we was here. So for him to use the terms blacks and Negroes, but then sign an Indian Civil Rights Act, seems rather suspicious. With him already knowing that we were not slaves, we were not colors, we were not Negroes, but we were indigenous, a.k.a. Indians to this land. So would it be safe to say that when Martin Luther King referred to us as blacks and Negroes, it would be something that our people would be able to understand a little bit better? Because... Apparently, we weren't prepared to understand where our true origins were from, or is that just something that you felt like was a marketing ploy? I believe, like you hit it on the head right there. I believe that it had a couple of parts. Number one, he had to use the terminology that people understood in order to bring most of the people up to listen to him. But what I don't like is the fact that he stayed 
on that same black Negro, black Negro, when he himself knew that he was not black nor Negro. He knew it was only a color class system because himself was a Creek Indian. His mother was a Creek Indian. His father was a Creek Indian. He descended from Creek Indians. So he knew that AKA African-Americans were the original Native Americans of North America and South America, but he still pushed the agenda of us being black and Negro. Not only that, he knew that blacks and Negroes are not counted in government. So he knew you can't give somebody that don't exist reparations. Right. And that's a big thing. That's all we talk about, reparations. If your name is black or African-American, which is a title made up in 1988 by Jesse Jackson, if you have a made-up name for who you are and you come to a government entity and ask for some money, they're going to first say, okay, what are you? If you say, I'm black, they're going to say, black does not exist. That's not a thing. That's a status. Black is a class. It's a class. Like, white is a class. Black is a class. No. Who are you? Uh, I'm African-American. That doesn't exist. That's a status that was made by Jesse Jackson. Right. Okay? So, I'm going to ask you again. What are you? And who are you? What are you going to say? I was a descendant of slaves. Well, slaves are property. Slaves don't get money. Right. What are you? So it's important that you understand what you are so you can stop always talking about reparations. In order to get reparations, which is what Martin Luther King should have been talking about, you need to know your true identity. Well, maybe because he was trying to avoid the reparations argument because he knew if he actually told the truth, it would probably shorten his lifespan if that it already was. Leading to the end of his life. Yes. When he started to say that we've been exiled from our own homeland, which is America, when he used to say things like, we were here before the pilgrims came, that's when Dr. Martin Luther King started getting that bad attention. That's when the smoke came. And that's when the gunshots came. Because when you start to unlock what black people truly are, now you open up a can of worms. Now I ain't talking about reparations. Now we're talking about original land. Right. Millions upon millions upon millions of acres of land that the government owes us. See, this is what Martin Luther King should have stressed from the very beginning. And if he didn't do it on a national, he should have done it in the churches. And chitlin service. And what's interesting about that is then this land that we have been entitled to, because see, this reparations act is all it's gonna do is say, even if you go through this process and actually do get reparations, don't be fooled by a check that they're going to cut you, which is apparently what was the plan is we're just gonna cut every every person who files under this act as a check. Hey, here's a paycheck for pay out all your services or all your descendants and everything, so on and so forth. Hmm. That is not what reparations is. Reparations doesn't have a value amount that you can just throw away and move on with your life. Reparations is could very well be what we're sitting on. The very land that we're sitting on may be legally ours, and they understand that. Do you know that to give black people reparations is illegal in the United States? In order for black people to get reparations, it is illegal. The reason why it's illegal is because let's look at what we call the Jews that got money for the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. The Jews got money for the Holocaust because they went through a specific war and they were able to trace back exactly their families and they could see exactly that they were a part of the Holocaust. The Asians, when they put them in concentration camps, got a lot of money during World War II because they were able to trace back specifically that their families were put in these concentration camps in America. Although black people shout from the rooftops, well, we was descended from slaves. Things is bad because we were slaves. Who can prove, and I'm talking to you, can you prove that your family came from a slave or African slave? 
If you can't prove that your family came from an African slave, then you cannot ask for money. Because when you start talking about government money, they want to know specifically, were your people affected by this specifically? And the way they find that out, you have to go back and find out if one of your descendants was in slavery. So how do you, how would you explain the Ados movement then? The Ados movement is nothing but a figure and a cover for the Democratic Party to recruit more African Americans inside of their fold. Ah, you know what? That has been brought up as well. So, you know, unfortunately, that, that's, that's, that's their way of just basically saying, we're behind you. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Claim that you're a descendant of slaves, even though we know fully well you may not be. Because every one, one of the one things that these Democratic candidates is doing, every time, the first thing they lead with is we're going to open up the discussion about reparations for black people. I've seen three candidates that were Democrats, no Republicans, always open up discussions for reparations. But they never say that we're going to give reparations. What they say is we're going to start to test or run some tests or some surveys or do a research study about reparations for African Americans. They never say that they're actually going to do it because reparations is illegal to give to someone if they don't know their lineage. And it's kind of weird to me when I feel like when they say that, it's almost like they're saying, we're going to see if you really know. So we're going to have this discussion. They are. That's what they're doing. They're trying to tell you what. Let's see if they really know. And if you don't know, then you can't say we didn't have this discussion. But there's pretty much nothing we can do about it. They're basically doing the same thing that a man do to a woman when he don't really want to marry her. He keeps stringing her along, stringing her along, stringing her along. Because they know they can't give you reparations as black and African-American. They know it. It's illegal. Look it up. They They can't give black people reparations. Every politician knows this. So they keep stringing along and stringing along. But this is the fucked up part. Because if somebody really pressed the issue of, all right, why can't you give us reparations? They would start having to tell you why they can't give you reparations, mm-hmm. which will lead, it will open Pandora's box. Because if they tell you why they can't give you reparations, it's because you have to prove that you're a descendant of slave. Right. You go and look up your genealogy and you realize you have no people in your family that's a descendant of a slave. Mm-hmm. Then you start to realize, wait a minute, my people didn't come from slaves, but I'm all African-American. I mean, I'm all black. I'm, why my people didn't come from slaves? Remember, African-American was a term that was phrased by Jesse Jackson. Jackson in 1988. Yeah. Then you say, well, I can't get reparations because my people weren't slaves and they own land. Wait a minute, my people own land? You tell me about it. I go and look up my history, see if I can get reparations. I found out that my people own land. Wait a minute. So forget the reparations. Right. You owe us the land. And that's when Pandora's box begins to open. That can of worms busts open. Yeah. And that's why they can't give you rep. That's why they always deflect the reparations talk. Because they know that it's going to lead to black people understanding that they weren't really all slaves. Majority of them won slaves and they damn sure won African. And of course, the understanding that means telling them that this is our land means sacrificing white livelihood, which is the biggest thing that they're going to protect at all costs. Exactly. They're going to lie, cheat, and steal in order to protect the stolen land that they have. Because what they did, they just basically stole the land by writing you out of legislation, taking away that you were uh, American Indian, Aboriginal, and Indigenous, took you off the books, wrote this thing called the Homestead Act, which gave free land, which was our land, to white immigrants coming in. They took millions upon millions upon hundreds of millions of land, and you act like that land wasn't owned by nobody. But if you start to find out that you were free and you weren't a descendant of slaves and you didn't come from Africa and you own land and your descendants own land and your descendants own land and in the 1500s they own land, now you start to see who the real owner is. Yes. And the real owner is the true owner of the land. And guess what that means? 
All them white people that got all them farms in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, even the ones that black people don't go to, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Idaho, all them places. They don't own none of that shit. And they got to give it all up to black people because now black people were the true owners because they are the true indigenous people. All this information is what Martin Luther King, Michael King, actually knew Mm -hmm. and he didn't relay it to the black people aka black people don't you wouldn't be interesting if we suddenly got back all the land and they said well they can't have the land and we need this land to survive and they say okay so we own the land you guys need the land to survive okay so what exactly are you willing to do to keep this land it's only one solution at that point. What's that? If they're not going to give the land up, mm-hmm. it's time for war. And that's what a civil war is. Yes. And that's another story. But there are some people that's actually doing this in South Africa. South Africa, those brothers over there, man, I'm going to give it to them. Those brothers over there, they are taking back their land from the white people that came from yeah. Europe. And they ain't doing it by just being peaceful. They are literally dragging and killing people and taking those white people off their lands and reclaiming their lands. They've even rewritten laws in their own land and say, y'all gotta get the fuck out. First they did it by the pen. And now they do they it by the sword. Do it by the sword. So, well, you know, there's an actual uh, philosophy that, that can be done here. So, other than the war part. That's one of the reasons why they don't broadcast about South Africa that much. Because they don't want nobody to get an inkling, damn, we should do that over here. Right. Well, I mean, it already happened in Haiti a long time ago, so. It should be happening here. So, but it's also like a, a philosophy like, you know what? What if we were able to say, okay, you got the land. We don't want to go to war with you. Well, you know how you always talk about renting, paying a premium. Guess what? Now you gotta pay us a premium to use this land, to still stay on this land. Landlord, tenant. We are the true landlords. And you're in these white immigrants are the tenants. You know how if you live in Chicago or any metropolitan city, you pay a county tax? Yes. That's the tax that's tacked onto your mortgage? Yeah. Or if you own an apartment building? That's the tax. That actually is illegal because this is not their actual land. Right. Even lands in the northern city like Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, all those types of lands, those were aboriginal strongholds. Uh, Chicago was found by a black man, and he wasn't a black foreigner. He was a black indigenous aboriginal man, mm-hmm. meaning he and his family's descendants have full ownership of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So... What you have to understand, once you start thinking about it like that, you start to realize that Chicago is actually owned by a black man. There's a lot of black culture and history in this city. And it's not just black culture like you go to an uh, 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 African-American museum and they say, I invented the con- cotton gin. No, mm-hmm. a black man named Baptiste owns Chicago. And John his descendants, Baptiste. John Baptiste, yeah. his descendants own Chicago and he was not a slave and he was not a foreigner either okay so you got to understand the ramifications of Martin Luther King not telling this vital information happened to black people because instead of black people understanding that this is their land and trying to get it back what they said was well this is the white people's land and we want to integrate with them because their ice is colder right it gave us a completely jacked up mind frame and narrative that we've been doing till this day. Because whether you want to believe it or not, sometimes you do think the grass is green on the white yeah, people's side. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to frequent a black owned business because you think the white business is better. Right. Sometimes you don't want to move into Bronzeville or move into a black neighborhood because you think that Schaumburg or Naperville or uh, Bolingbrook, Bolingbrook Park. Orland Park is better. This is subconscious. This is psychologically subconscious. It's in your subconscious state to think that the white is better. But you don't understand where this derived from. Dr. Martin Luther King had a lot to do with this. We celebrate him, but whether it's good, there's bad. bad. Okay? So we now establish where you fucked up at, basically. 
We established what were the effects of this fucking up. We've established that in larger retrospect, integration was not the way to go. We've been arguing that even to there's a younger generation right now that's currently understanding that. Mm-hmm. You see it all around you. Integration didn't do us a damn bit of good. But as always, we try to leave with some solutions. So what should we be able to take from Martin Luther King's mistakes? The first thing you do is learn that if you don't understand your history, you're doomed and bound to repeat it, okay? Mm-hmm. So Dr. Martin Luther King preached integration. We all see what integration has done. It has stripped black schools. Mm-hmm. It has stripped, I hate to say black businesses because you think of small businesses. I'm talking about black corporations that had thousands upon thousands of black owned employees and employers. Mm-hmm. It stripped the black economic base. So it's a simple solution. You have to create all black companies so you can bring all black people in. So you can stop saying, I love everybody. You can love everybody inside your heart, Mm -hmm. but do know that you're living in a world that is based upon race. And even though you love everybody, everybody don't love you. And although you want to hire everybody and bring every race into your fold, every race is not going to bring you into their fold. So stop thinking because you've been subconsciously programmed to feel like I have to include everybody in order for it to be fair that you're doing the right thing because no other ethnicity thinks like you. Not Caucasian, not Chinese, not Korean, not even African. Think about it this way. The term race is like a competition. That's basically what it is, it's a competition. You're all on the same starting line. Are you trying to win, are you trying to survive in this race by everybody wins? Everybody gets together. Everybody, let's all win this competition together. We all know what happens to competition. There's always one winner and there's always a bunch of losers. Inevitably, it has to happen. That's how the world works. That's how basically how this class system works. You have to, there's always a winner. There's always a loser. First place, last place. And unfortunately for us, we have been in the very last place. For a very long time. For generations almost. It's okay to have black owned businesses. It's okay to shop black. It's okay to uh, say, well, I got a company and I'm going to hire my friend. And then I'm going to hire my cousin. Then I'm going to hire the dude that just uh, graduated out of Jackson State University. It's okay to think like that. Because guess what? The whole United States thinks like that. It's just that African-Americans, for the reasons known that we've talked about, now subconsciously feel in order for us to be fair, we have to include all races. Right. And you don't really have to because guess what? A lot of these races, like you said, a lot of these races don't have to think that way. Mount Greenwood in Chicago does not think that way. Right. Bridgeport in Chicago does not think that way. Chinatown in Chicago does not think that way. Okay? Okay. Italian, Little Italy does not think that way. No. There's no black town. There's no black native town in Chicago anymore. In Bronzeville, which was once a thriving black metropolitan city, I mean community, has now gone through gentrification. See, it's not just me. Okay, I had one time. Okay. (laughs) So, where are you left? You gotta understand, you are in this game. This is a game and this is a race. Mm-hmm. Stop acting like this is a love fest, black people. It's and not. I'm not talking about you ain't gotta pick up a gun and hurt nobody. Right. Because a lot of this stuff, a lot of this taking of the land, and what Dr. Martin Luther King was talking about was integration, was done by a pen, legislation, mm-hmm. and not with guns and violence. And this is a message I'm gonna send out to the people out there. And this goes with any argument about social structure, about religion, about relationships, sexuality, identity, so on and so forth. Stop trying to broaden every single argument to include everyone. Stop broadening your arguments to include Everybody, there's a selective dispute with a selective group. That's the issue 
focus on the issue. Stop trying to broaden it because you're not getting it done trying to pull a fail swoop over people, everything that's not even the issue. Black people poor. Well, everybody poor, so we should give everybody That is, money. dude. New, <laughs> new, no, new, no, new, no, new. No. That's not how that works. That's not how that works because guess what? When you include everybody, that means your issue didn't get resolved. All you did was do somebody else a favor that you didn't ask for. Like Dr. Claude Anderson said, if you put cream inside a black coffee, does it make the coffee stronger? No, it makes it weaker. Exactly. So stop trying to include everybody into your people's situation. Again, this is an ideology that covers a broad scope of disputes that we have had as a society. Stop trying to broaden the argument. Stop trying to broaden dispute. This is an inclusive thing that we need to work on in our own group. For this one group, we have a problem. For this one group, we have a problem. For this one group, we have a problem. Let's attack this issues directly at that group. Stop broadening it. Doesn't include everybody. Segregation, but equal. Well, that concludes another episode of the Brothers Podcast. You don't bang. It is late. We are tired, but it's been a joy and a pleasure talking to y'all. We have hoped y'all learned something. As always, please, 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 if you have a dispute, if you think it's something that you want to share an ideology, an idea, a message with us, please send us an inbox, comment on our wall. We're always welcome for open discussion. And speaking of black-owned businesses, this wouldn't be a brother's podcast if I didn't shout out our black-owned business. Yep. The Brothers Foundation, we need you supported. African-American boys molding them into men from high school to college until when they get out into the real world and need careers. That's what we're doing. And in order to do it, we need your donations. So we need you to hit that link right there on the right-hand side so we can make this dream come true for not only us, yes. but for our black men. Black women, y'all say y'all need black men, right? Right. Well, we're trying to mold them into productive black men. So help the brothers out. Donate, donate, donate. $1, $5, $10, $20, $100. Whatever you got in your pocket, hit that donation right there. And as always, do right by each other, people. Because if we don't do right by ourselves, who's going to do it for us? That was well said. Yeah. So, I'm Dante Chase Bridges. I am Stephen Sidney P. Watson. And on that note, we are out of here. Peace.